You're listening to a Glassbox Media Podcast. We're thrilled to team up with Acoustic Sheep for a special giveaway. One lucky listener will win a pair of sleep phones wireless, the ultimate sleep headphones, plus a whole year of premium ad-free episodes from I Can't Sleep Podcast. To enter, just follow at Sleep Phones and at I Can't Sleep Podcast on Instagram. Tag your friends in the comments. Each tag counts as an entry, and there's no limit to how many times you can tag. Don't miss out on your chance to enhance your nightly routine with sleep phones and a year of serene listening with our podcast. I'll list the details in the show notes, and all the information you can find about the giveaway will be on Instagram. If you love falling asleep to the I Can't Sleep podcast, I think I know of a brand new show for you to wake up to. The Daily Book Club is a podcast where the host, Otis Gray, reads classic stories every day, one chapter at a time. Simple as that. Hear amazing tales read start to finish. Whether you want to get engaged and wrapped up in fantastic stories that have stood the test of time, or you just want to relax and listen to a great book, The Daily Book Club is there for you to get lost in however you like. Right now, Otis is reading The Enchanted April. In the 1920s, four women, unfulfilled with life, take a chance and abscond to a dreamy medieval Italian castle in the month of April as the flowers bloom. It's a story dripping with wisteria, the beauty of solitude, and an unlikely pursuit of joy in Portofino, Italy. A perfect book to start this season. You can find The Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. Subscribe so you never miss an episode and tune in each morning to hear what happens next. Welcome to the I Can't Sleep Podcast where I read random articles from across the web to bore you to sleep with my soothing voice. I'm your host, Benjamin Boster. Today's episode is from a Wikipedia article titled, Pottery. As more people discover the benefits of fasting, including weight loss, enhanced mental and physical performance, and improved gut health, the challenge often lies in the daunting prospect of not eating. That's where Prolon comes in a groundbreaking plant-based nutrition program that nourishes your body while tricking your cells into thinking they're fasting. Developed over decades at the University of Southern California's Longevity Institute and supported by top U.S. medical centers, Prolon is designed to maintain healthy blood sugar levels, support cardiovascular health, and help reduce abdominal fat. However, Prolon is not just a diet. It's a science-driven approach rooted in Nobel Prize-winning medical research. The journey with Prolon begins with a five-day regimen of snacks, soups, and beverages, all crafted to sustain a fasting state. Choosing a nutrition program can be daunting, yet Prolon would be at the top of my list for its convenience, scientific backing, and effectiveness. It's no surprise that thousands of doctors now recommend Prolon to foster healthy blood sugar and cardiovascular health. Right now, Prolon is offering I Can't Sleep listeners 10% off their five-day nutrition program. Go to prolonlife.com slash I can't sleep. That's P R O L O N life.com slash I can't sleep for this special offer. That's prolonlife.com slash I can't sleep. And thank you to Prolon for sponsoring the podcast. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds. 
experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become Mentally Stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. Pottery is the process and the products of forming vessels and other objects with clay and other ceramic materials, which are fired at high temperatures to give them a hard and durable form. Major types include earthenware, stoneware, and porcelain. The place where such wares are made by a potter is also called a pottery, plural potteries. The definition of pottery used by the ASTM International is all fired ceramic wares that contain clay when formed, except technical, structural, and refractory products. In art history and archaeology, especially of ancient and prehistoric periods, Pottery often means vessels only, and sculpted figurines of the same material are called terracottas. Clay as a part of the materials used is required by some definitions of pottery, but this is dubious. Pottery is one of the oldest human inventions originating before the Neolithic period, with ceramic objects like the Gravettian culture, Venus of Dolny Vestonice figurine discovered in the Czech Republic, dating back to 29,000 to 25,000 BC, and pottery vessels that were discovered in Jiangxi, China, which date back to 18,000 BC. Neolithic and pre-Neolithic pottery artifacts have been found in Joman, Japan, the Russian Far East, Sub-Saharan Africa, South America, and the Middle East. Pottery is made by forming a ceramic, often clay, body into objects of a desired shape and heating them to high temperatures in a bonfire pit or kiln, and induces reactions that lead to permanent changes including increasing the strength and rigidity of the object. Much pottery is purely utilitarian, but much can also be regarded as ceramic art. A clay body can be decorated before or after firing. Clay-based pottery can be divided into three main groups, earthenware, stoneware, and porcelain. These require increasingly more specific clay material and increasingly higher firing temperatures. All three are made in glazed and unglazed varieties for different purposes. All may also be decorated by various techniques. In many examples, the group a piece belongs to is immediately visually apparent. This is not always the case. The fritware of the Islamic world does not use clay, so technically falls outside these groups. Historic pottery of all these types is often grouped as either fine wares, relatively expensive and well-made, and following the aesthetic taste of the culture concerned 
or alternatively, coarse, popular, folk, or village wares, mostly undecorated, or simply so, and often less well-made. Cooking in clay pots became less popular once metal pots became available. Clay remained popular for those dishes that depended on the unique qualities of clay cooking. Main Types Earthenware The earliest forms of pottery were made from clays that were fired at low temperatures, initially in pit fires or in open bonfires. They were hand-formed and undecorated. Earthenware can be fired as low as 600 degrees Celsius and is normally fired below 1200 degrees Celsius. Because unglazed biscuit earthenware is porous, it has limited utility for the storage of liquids or as tableware. However, earthenware has had a continuous history from the Neolithic period to today. It can be made from a wide variety of clays, some of which fire to a buff, brown, or black color, with iron in the constituent minerals resulting in a reddish-brown. Reddish-colored varieties are called terracotta especially when unglazed or used for sculpture. The development of ceramic glaze made impermeable pottery possible, improving the popularity and practicality of pottery vessels. The addition of decoration has evolved throughout its history. Stoneware Stoneware is pottery that has been fired in a kiln at a relatively high temperature from about 1100 degrees Celsius to 1200 degrees Celsius, and is stronger and non-porous to liquids. The Chinese who developed stoneware very early on classify this together with porcelain as high-fired wares. In contrast, stoneware could only be produced in Europe from the late Middle Ages, as European kilns were less efficient and the right type of clay less common. It remained a specialty of Germany until the Renaissance. Stoneware is very tough and practical, and much of it has always been utilitarian, for the kitchen or storage rather than for the table. But fine stoneware has been important in China, Japan, and the West, and continues to be made. Many utilitarian types have also come to be appreciated as art. Porcelain Porcelain is made by heating materials, generally including kaolin, in a kiln, to temperatures between 1200 and 1400 degrees Celsius. This is higher than used for the other types, and achieving these temperatures was a long struggle, as well as realizing what materials were needed. The toughness, strength, and translucence of porcelain, relative to other types of pottery, arises mainly from vitrification and the formation of the mineral molite within the body of these high temperatures. Although porcelain was first made in China, the Chinese traditionally do not recognize it as a distinct category, grouping it with stoneware as high-fired ware, opposed to low-fired earthenware. This confuses the issue of when it was first made. A degree of translucency and whiteness was achieved by the Tang dynasty, and considerable quantities were being exported. The modern level of whiteness was not reached until much later in the 14th century. Porcelain was also made in Korea and in Japan from the end of the 16th century, after suitable kaolin was located in those countries. 
it was not made effectively outside East Asia until the 18th century. Archaeology A study of pottery can help to provide an insight into past cultures. Fabric analysis used to analyze the fabric of pottery is an important part of archaeology for understanding the archaeological culture of the excavated site by studying the fabric of artifacts such as their usage, source material composition, decorative pattern, color of patterns, etc. This helps to understand characteristics, sophistication, habits, technology, tools, trade, etc. of the people who made and used the pottery. Carbon dating reveals the age. Sites with similar pottery characteristics have the same culture. The sites which have distinct cultural characteristics, but with some overlap, are indicative of cultural exchange such as trade or living in vicinity or continuity of habitation, etc. Examples are black and red ware, red ware, southeast Siswal culture, and painted gray ware culture. The six fabrics of Kalibengen is a good example of use of fabric analysis in identifying a differentiated culture which was earlier thought to be typical Indus Valley civilization, IVC culture. Pottery is durable, and fragments at least often survive long after artifacts made from less durable materials have decayed past recognition. Combined with other evidence, the study of pottery artifacts is helpful in the development of theories on the organization, economic condition, and the cultural development of the societies that produced or acquired pottery. The study of pottery may also allow inferences to be drawn about a culture's daily life, religion, social relationships, attitudes towards neighbors, attitudes towards their own world, and even the way the culture understood the universe. Chronologies based on pottery are often essential for dating non-literate cultures and are often of help in the dating of historic cultures as well. Trace element analysis, mostly by neutron activation, allows the sources of clay to be accurately identified and the thermoluminescence test can be used to provide an estimate of the date of last firing. Examining fired pottery shards from prehistory Scientists learn that during high-temperature firing, iron materials in clay record the exact state of the Earth's magnetic field at that exact moment. Source Material Fabric Analysis The clay body is also called the paste or the fabric, which consists of two things. The clay matrix, composed of grains of less than 0.02 millimeters grains, which can be seen using the high-powered microscopes or a scanning electron microscope, SCM, and the clay inclusions, which are larger grains of clay and could be seen with the naked eye or a low-power binocular microscope. For geologists, fabric analysis means spatial arrangement of minerals in a rock. For archaeologists, the fabric analysis of pottery entails the study of clay matrix and inclusions in the clay body, as well as the firing temperature and conditions. Analysis is done to examine the following three in detail. How pottery was made, e.g. material, design, such as shape and style, etc. 
Its decorations, such as patterns, colors of patterns, slipped, glazing, or unslipped decoration. Evidence of type of use. The six fabrics of Calabangan is a good example of fabric analysis. Clay bodies and mineral contents. Body or clay body is a term for the main pottery form of a piece underneath any glaze or decoration. The main ingredient of the body is clay. There are several materials that are referred to as clay. The properties which make them different include plasticity, the malleability of the body, the extent to which they will absorb water after firing, and shrinkage, the extent of reduction in size of a body as water is removed. Different clay bodies also differ in the way in which they respond when fired in the kiln. A clay body can be decorated before or after firing. Prior to some shaping processes, clay must be prepared. Each of these different clays is composed of different types and amounts of minerals that determine the characteristics of resulting pottery. There can be regional variations in the properties of raw materials used for the production of pottery, and these can lead to wares that are unique in character to a locality. It is common for clays and other materials to be mixed to produce clay bodies suited to specific purposes. A common component of clay bodies is the mineral kaolinite. Other minerals in the clay, such as feldspar, act as fluxes which lower the vitrification temperature of bodies. Following is a list of different types of clay used for pottery. Kaolin is sometimes referred to as China clay because it was first used in China, used for porcelain. Ball clay an extremely plastic, fine-grained, sedimentary clay, which may contain some organic matter. Small amounts can be added to porcelain bodies to increase plasticity. Fire clay, a clay having a slightly lower percentage of fluxes than kaolin, but usually quite plastic. It is a highly heat-resistant form of clay, which can be combined with other clays to increase the firing temperature and may be used as an ingredient to make stoneware-type bodies. Stoneware clay. Suitable for creating stoneware. Has many of the characteristics between fire clay and ball clay, having finer grain, like ball clay, but is more heat-resistant, like fire clays. Common red clay and shale clay have vegetable and ferric oxide impurities, which make them useful for bricks, but are generally unsatisfactory for pottery except under special conditions of a particular deposit. Bentonite, an extremely plastic clay which can be added in small quantities to short clay to increase the plasticity. Production of pottery. Production of pottery includes the following three stages. Making clay body, i.e. paste or putty, shaping and molding, firing and baking, decorating such as glazing, slipping, painting, etc. Shaping Methods Pottery can be shaped by a range of methods that include hand building, this is the earliest forming method, whereas it can be constructed by hand from coils of clay, combining flat slabs of clay or pinching solid balls of clay or some combination of these. Parts of hand-built vessels are often joined together with the aid of slip, an aqueous suspension of clay body and water. 
A clay body can be decorated before or after firing. Prior to some shaping processes, clay must be prepared, such as tablewares, although some studio potters find hand-building more conducive to create one-of-a-kind works of art. The Potter's Wheel In a process called throwing, coming from the Old English word thrown, which means to twist or turn, a ball of clay is placed in the center of a turntable called the wheelhead, which the potter rotates with a stick with foot power or with a variable speed electric motor. During the process of throwing, the wheel rotates while the solid ball of soft clay is pressed, squeezed, and pulled gently upwards and outwards into a hollow shape. The first step of pressing the rough ball of clay downward and inward into perfect rotational symmetry is called centering the clay, a most important skill to master before the next steps. Opening, making a centered hollow into the solid ball of clay. Flooring, making the flat or rounded bottom inside the pot. Throwing or pulling, drawing up and shaping the walls to an even thickness. And trimming and turning removing excess clay to refine the shape or to create a foot. Considerable skill and experience are required to throw pots of an acceptable standard, and while the wear may have high artistic merit, the reproducibility of the method is poor. Because of its inherent limitations, throwing can only be used to create wares with radial symmetry on a vertical axis. These can then be altered by impressing, bulging, carving, fluting, and incising. In addition to the potter's hands, these techniques can use tools including paddles, anvils, and ribs, and those specifically for cutting or piercing such as knives, fluting tools, needle tools, and wires. Thrown pieces can be further modified by the attachment of handles, lids, feet, and spouts. Granulate pressing. As the name suggests, this is the operating of shaping pottery by pressing a clay in a semi-dry granulated condition in a mold. The clay is pressed into the mold by a porous dye through which water is pumped at high pressure. The granulated clay is prepared by spray drying to produce a fine and free-flowing material, having a moisture content of between about 5 and 6%. Granulate pressing, also known as dust pressing, is widely used in the manufacture of ceramic tiles and increasingly of plates. Injection molding. This is a shape-forming process adapted for the tableware industry for the method long established for the forming of thermoplastic and some metal components. It has been called porcelain injection molding, or PIM. Suited to the mass production of complex-shaped articles, one significant advantage of the technique is that it allows the production of a cup, including the handle in a single process, and thereby eliminates the handle-fixing operation and produces a stronger bond between cup and handle. The feed to the mold die is a mix of approximately 50-60% to 60 unfired body in powder form together with 40-50% to 50 organic additives composed of binders, lubricants, and plasticizers. The technique is not as widely used as other shaping methods. Jiggering and jollying. These operations are carried out on the potter's wheel and allow the time taken to bring wares to a standardized form to be reduced, 
Jiggering is the operation of bringing a shaped tool into contact with the plastic clay of a piece under construction, the piece itself being set on a rotating plaster mold on the wheel. The jigger tool shapes one face while the mold shapes the other. Jiggering is used only in the production of flatwares such as plates, but a similar operation, jollying, is used in the production of hollowwares such as cups. Jiggering and jollying have been used in the production of pottery since at least the 18th century. In large-scale factory production, jiggering and jollying are usually automated, which allows the operations to be carried out by semi-skilled labor.